Okay. We are in a series on spiritual disciplines. So we had the intro sermon last week. If you missed last week's sermon, you might want to go listen to it on the website because a lot, we're going to, this is a very practical series. We're going to talk a lot about how to in this series. And if you don't know the why, then the how to could get lost and this could turn into like another legalistic thing that you do or a self-help thing that you do. And we don't want to do that. So if you haven't listened to the intro sermon, I encourage you to go listen to the intro sermon. Wednesday night, we did prayer this morning, we're going to use fasting. Every Wednesday and every Sunday, we're going to have a different discipline that we are talking about, and all together, it's going to form the series. And so um, if you miss one, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it and check it out, because all of these, all of these disciplines should be just a part of the toolbox that normal Christians use and know how to use. Um, you might not be practicing all of them, all the time, but you might find place times in your life where you use one more than the other, um, and you should know how to use all of them. You should know how to use all of them. There shouldn't be a Christian out there who's like, what is prayer again, right? Like, you should know at least the basics of how to do all of this. And so this morning, we're kicking off the Sunday morning um, portion of this with a discipline that has been universal throughout Christian history, and in fact, universal throughout pretty much every religious history in the history of the world, and yet is not talked about a lot these days, and that's fasting. So fasting is something that was, um, it's not commanded in the Bible, at least not in the New Testament. Jesus never says, therefore go fast Wednesdays and Fridays because yada, 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 because it was one of those things that was assumed to be the part of a part of the life of normal religious people of his day, frankly, of any religion, right? So the Jewish people um, would have had their prescribed fast days. They would have all known how to do it. And they would have um, fasted over and above that. If they felt called to, they would have all known how to do that. Even the other religions of the time would have had their own fast days. It was simply a part of the culture. It was something that was, that was assumed that everybody did. Um, it was a part of the culture for a very long part of Christian history. Uh, there were, uh, it has taken different forms over different years. If you go to different churches, the Eastern church fasts a little bit differently than the Western church. Um, it is up until the modern age when it really fell out of fashion for a lot of reasons. And I'm not gonna take you through kind of uh, nutritional guideline history, but we came to a point in our culture where there was this widespread belief that <laughs> skipping food was going to be detrimental to your health, says the most obese nation on earth, right? Um, and so we had this point in our history when we're like, if you skip a meal, you're going to die. Um, and at that point, fasting fell out of favor. And not only did fasting fall out of favor religiously, fasting fell out of favor just with the mainstream, and people forgot how to do it. I will also, um, in, in, in all um, uh, fairness, fasting can become very legalistic. So we talked about the legalism last week and, and avoiding legalism and how to make disciplines a source of life and not a source of death. Fasting can become extremely legalistic. Um, fasting, I mean, Lord forbid, I, I saw this, this movie where they were like forcing children to fast for religious reasons, which is like a horror movie, right? Nobody wants to do that. And yet, um, what we did when we threw fasting out altogether is we threw the baby out with the bathwater and we missed a practice that has been a part of religious life literally for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about a, a, a couple basics of the why 
Why did people do this? Why do Christians do it? What does it mean for a Christian to fast? I want to talk about the how, and then I want to talk about how can this be a part of your life. Um, so the why, <laughs> the why, and this is, this is funny because it is actually very easy for us in our, especially if you've been in the church, we talk about giving money all the time, right? I'm, I'm sure most of you, if you had to, you could preach a pretty good why should you give your money sermon. And then we talk about why should you give up food, and we're like, really? That seems a bit extravagant. Um, because, because it's different for us, because we, we, we live in a culture. I remember growing up, and I was told, if you skip one meal, your body will starve, which is not true. Um, why would you give up food for religious reasons. The first thing we have to say is when you are talking about fasting for spiritual reasons, it is fasting, giving up food for a period of time in order to get closer to God, in order to listen to God more, in order to feast on God's word more and God's presence more. These days, especially, fasting has started to come back into favor, and so there are a whole lot of people fasting for medical reasons again, a whole lot of people fasting for health reasons again. That's well and good. You can still fast for the wrong reasons and get no spiritual benefit from it. The same way you can still pray for the wrong reasons and get no spiritual benefit for, from it. When Jesus explicit, explicitly talks about fasting in Matthew, um, he addresses the question of motive. He says, therefore, do not be like the hypocrites who look dismal because they want to prove to everyone they're fasting and get all these righteous points for it. That's not exactly what he said, but it's something like that. And he said, when you fast, anoint yourself Put on your clothes, look joyful so that nobody knows you're fasting and your father can see what you do in secret. He addresses the question of motive because fasting for religious reasons has to be motivated by religious reasons. The reason we do this discipline along with all the other disciplines is to put ourselves more directly in the presence of God. If you're here on Ash Wednesday, you remember my image of the desert, right? You go, people used to literally go into a desert for a time of intimacy and closeness with God. What happens in the desert is your normal routine is interrupted. All the normal distractions are interrupted. The normal noise is drowned out. There are no distractions in the desert. Um, there is also very few comforts in the desert. It is an uncomfortable place. It is a quiet place. It is a place where there is nothing to do except to get up close and personal with God. And so what has happened in Lent and in a lot of these disciplines is it is this small way of disrupting your normal routine to attain an intimacy with God, a closeness with God. And fasting is one of the things that does that because it disrupts what your body is used to. So the fact of the matter is you are a very physical creature. You are soul and body together. You are mind and spirit and you're, you are a, a physical and spiritual all in the same little block of mud and breath. So this image of God making Adam from the, the dirt of the earth and then breathing his God breath into them is this image of the human creature who is both physical and spiritual at the same time, which means your physicality affects your spirit, which means when you are in pain, you can be a pain to be around, right? Which means when you are in, your body is feeling bad, you all of a sudden become a less holy person. And what happens with fasting is it starts to disrupt a little bit of your body, your physicality, to show you what is in your spirit that needs to be dealt with. Because the truth of the matter is, God wants your sanctification, and God does not just want your sanctification when you are feeling great about the world. It is easy to be a good 
holy, righteous person when you are comfortable, well-fed, rich, and everything is taken care of. Although when that happens, we tend to be jerks anyway. And yet, if something comes in to disrupt that and you discover that you become less of a holy person, then your holiness is actually dependent on your comfort and not on the sanctifying grace of God. If you cannot be a decent person to your spouse without your morning cup of coffee, your morning cup of coffee is the key to your sanctification and you should probably give it up for a while. What fasting does is fasting disrupts the external comforts that do affect our souls, our spirituality, to see where his sanctifying grace needs to work next. Because if, if I skip a meal and I get hangry and I start abusing my children because of it, God, it is showing me that God has work to do in my heart, right? If my discomfort causes me to be an unholy person, to behave in ways that are, that are not up to the standards of God, it is showing me work that needs to be done by the Holy Spirit in my heart. Is it harder to be generous when you are feeling bad? Yes. Does God want you to be generous when you are feeling bad? Yes. Does God want you to be a person whose holiness is dependent on the grace of God and not whether or not you've had your cup of coffee this morning? Yes. God wants you to be a person who is holy in all circumstances, in all cases. If your life is up or if your life is down, if you are feeling great or if you are feeling terrible, if you are comfortable or if you are not comfortable, your holiness should be dependent on the sanctifying grace of God doing the work in you to make you into the person he created you to be. And so what fasting does is fasting is this artificial way of sort of inserting a little bit of discomfort into our lives. Just a little bit. What happens if I skip a meal? Do I completely lose it at my family, right? What happens if I don't have a morning cup of coffee? And what it does if you, so if you're not a Christian and you're just doing this for health reasons, then you just kind of knuckle through it. If you are a Christian, you take the opportunity to stop and let the Spirit of God work with what you have just seen inside yourself. You take the opportunity to stop and to confess and to invite the sanctifying grace of God to come in and do what the sanctifying grace of God does. And what people have found over the lives is by a practice of fasting every now and then, and people used to, Christians used to regularly fast twice a week, fasting every now and then would bring that sanctifying grace of God back little by little so that they were less dependent on their external comforts and more dependent on the grace of God to be the people that they were called to be. So that, if the day comes, when you have a real problem and you lose everything or you get sick or your body hurts or something, you do not descend into becoming a person who is just a ball of unrighteousness and anger and bitterness because that sanctifying grace of God has been working in you all along through your little excursions into the desert of fasting. That's the first thing that fasting does is fasting, along with all these other disciplines, starts to eliminate what is in our heart illuminate, not eliminate, both actually, illuminate what is in our hearts so that God can deal with it. Um, the second thing fasting does is it reminds us, puts us in a real way, reminds us 
where the source of our life actually is. So the image of the desert is actually quite beautiful. The desert is hard, and yet the desert is a place of intimacy with God. In the desert, there is no food, and so the only food comes from God. When the, when the Israelites went into the desert, they had no food, and so they prayed to God, and God literally gave them bread from heaven. And this image is, when you go into the desert, there are no external sources of blessing coming in. Everything is directly from the hand of God. And so you don't have all these external comforts, and yet you have the intimacy of being fed directly from the hand of God. And what fasting does is fasting is this little way of going to the desert to remind us we're the source of our life, we're the source of our hope, we're the source of everything, our salvation, our righteousness, the true source of all things in our life is the hand of God. The true source of all things in our life, all good things in our life, is the hand of God. And so this is why Jesus says, when you are fasting, don't look dismal. Look joyful, because when you are fasting, you are internally feasting on the word of God and the presence of God. If you are a Christian and you are fasting, you are not just white-knuckling it through the mealtimes. You are opening your Bible, you're putting on some worship music, and you are using that time, and you have a heightened awareness of that time because you're not eating and you're suddenly noticing everything. You have a heightened awareness, and you're using that time to really dig in to the presence of God and the Word of God, and you are remembering and experiencing again directly from the hand of God what it means to be sustained by the presence of God. And I'll tell you, all of this sounds very theoretical, but when you start practicing it, you start discovering it. What does it mean to rely on God for sustenance when, during a period of time when I am not for a period of time taking external sustenance into my body? Things become very, very real during periods of fasting. Things become very clear during periods of fasting. Things become very acute during periods of fasting, which is why Christians have done it for a very long time. This is also why, um, third point, so if you're keeping track of the points, the first is that fasting eliminates things that are in our hearts. The second is that fasting um, brings us back into this new realization of being directly dependent on the hand of God. And the third is that fasting and prayer go so closely together that fasting empowers prayer in a way that nobody fully understands and yet everybody fully recognizes. So if you go throughout the Bible, you see fasting and prayer together like this. In times of great distress, in times of great discernment, people would individually fast and pray. People would communally fast and pray. Um, so when Esther um, thought that her, she and her people were going to be destroyed, she called all the Jews to a three-day fasting and praying, period. Um, when Jesus was preparing for his ministry, he went for a 40-day fasting, period. Um, when the apostle Paul, Saul, Saul before he became Paul, um, experienced the risen, risen Christ, he went into a three-day fast. So together and um, individually and together, fasting and praying does something to your prayer, that not only makes the experience more powerful for the individual, but in fact seems to do something so that the prayer becomes more powerful. Now, I've got all sorts of theories on this, but it's the way that a scientist would have theories about something that they see happening and they don't know exactly why. And as you look throughout Christian history, you can see different people making guesses. Why does fasting affect prayer? Um, why do people partner these two together? 
I got a whole lot of thoughts on them. None are actually spelled out in the Bible. And because of that, I'm not going to spend too long on it. If you want to get coffee at some, or if you want to fast together at some point and talk about my thoughts about why that works, I've got all kinds of thoughts about it. But God doesn't tell us why it works. Jesus doesn't tell us why it works. He just says, if your motives are pure, this can be something that is powerful, right? And throughout Christian history, there has been traditionally communal fast and individual fast really until the modern time, really until the modern time. John Wesley and all of his followers fasted twice a week. Wednesday and Friday, he refused to ordain anyone who didn't fast twice a week. Um, I can give you lots of historical examples. You're just going to have to trust me on this, that we're the first generation that thought eating every day was absolutely biologically necessary. Maybe not the first generation, maybe the second, but not too far back in history. Every other generation has thought their spiritual benefit to voluntarily going without food for a period of time. Which brings me to the how. Let's talk about the how for a little bit because someone's gonna go out there and think I'm telling people to starve themselves to death. And we gotta remember how to do this. So the first thing I wanna say is there are people who should not fast. Um, underweight, so if you are not to a normal, regular BMI, under age, um, my church talked a lot about fasting growing up. I was not allowed to fast until I think when I was 16, my parents let me start skipping like one meal. And then it, I had to get out of the house if I wanted to do more than that. So like 18 um, was when I was finally allowed to fast because they couldn't stop me because I was in college at that point. Um, so underage, underweight, pregnant or nursing, or um, a medical condition that your doctor has told you you can't skip a meal. Um, so those are the four categories. Anyone in those four categories? There are lots of other things that you can do that kind of spiritually put you into a, a, a desert kind of situation. We're going to talk about simplicity. We're going to talk about solitude. Um, if you are in one of those four categories, do not give up food. If you are not in one of those four categories, the chances are you can give up a meal without it affecting you all that much other than maybe getting grouchy at your spouse. Here's how it works from a practical standpoint. There is in the Bible two examples of a fast. One is a normal fast, one is an absolute fast. A normal fast, which is the one that most Christians throughout history have, have practiced, is giving up food, but not water. Um, so giving up solid food and giving up what we would call, you know, drinkable food. So it's not like you're fasting from solid food, but you're drinking protein smoothies all day long. You, you drink water, you hydrate, but you don't take in solid food, fruit juices, vegetable juices, anything like that. That's a normal fast. And in fact, that is the kind of fast that people have done for very long periods of time. People would do it for 24 hours. People would do it for 36 hours. People would do it. People have done it um, 40 days. Uh, it depends on the person. Like the longer fast you, you do want to be careful about, it depends on, on the person. Um, but people have done, have incorporated like 24 and 36 hour fasts of water but no food regularly throughout Christian history and it, it has not been like a medical problem. Now, the second kind of fast that's mentioned in the Bible is the absolute fast, which is water, no water, no food. It is very, very rare. Very, very, very rare. It's almost like um, it, uh, God tells you directly you have to do it, and even then you don't do it for very long because that one actually is dangerous to do for a long time. The body can survive for a long time without food, most of our bodies, <laughs> my body can survive for a great long time without food. Um, 
Water though, you don't have very long. And so you have to be very, very careful. There are, um, Islam is a famous religion that does a water and um, food fast, but that's only for a period of like 18 hours, maybe 12. So very, very careful with any kind of fasting from water. The normal fast is just fasting from food and drinking lots of water. So how that tends to work is the first time you do it, you give up one meal. And in fact, if you've been giving, getting our um, devotionals, um, Monday's the day I talk about fasting, and you start giving up one meal a day. Maybe it's breakfast, maybe it's lunch. Um, and then you would move up from that to giving up two meals a day. And the next step after that, after you get used to that, would be a 24-hour fast, which is simply uh, you're skipping three meals, but you're eating on both days. So you might you skip um, lunch, dinner, breakfast, eat lunch the next day. It's a 24-hour fast. And then the next level beyond that, which tends to be the fast that actually um, is most widely practiced, is the 36-hour, which is just one full day without fasting. There are longer fasts beyond that if, if you want to talk about that. But most peep times, when we're talking about a normal length fast, it's, it's the 36-hour, which is enough to get your attention. Um, I will say, the first time I started fasting, um, it was a great... Um, little boost of self-righteousness for me because I was like, I'm so good at this. It's so easy for me to go without food because um, I was going like a 12-hour. And like the 36-hour was the one that actually got my attention um, because it was, it was hard. Um, so the, for the hows, you, you start small. You drink lots of water unless you have literally received a direct revelation from God not to. I'm just going to go ahead and say drink lots of water. Um, choose your time. And you intentionally pray during the times that you otherwise would be eating. And here's what happens. So I, I did start fasting pretty young. Um, I, I was in a church that talked a lot about this growing up. I'd seen my parents fast. I'd read about fasting. I was not allowed to fast as a child because my parents were very responsible parents. And then when I got into college, I was old enough, I might, it, was, it was okay for my body, and I started doing this praying and fasting thing. I didn't do it for super long. I, I did a lot of 24-hour fasts. But it was amazing to me what happened. Because the first thing that happened was I got very proud of myself for how easy it was the first day. And I was like, I am such a good Christian. <laughs> Look at me, like so exactly what Jesus says not to do. I was all over that. Um, I am such a good Christian. This is so easy for me. And then the next, the next time I tried it, it was hard. It was real hard. And you know what happened is I actually didn't make it through that next fast. And you know what happened in my brain as I was doing that was the first thing that comes up against me in my spiritual life, I tend to stop and just think that I'm not supposed to do it. I'm also the kind of person who, if I'm off running a 5K and I get tired, I'm like, maybe I wasn't supposed to run this 5K, right? <laughs> and so then I kept fasting, and then I got into the, you know, all that stuff about grouchiness, that was, that's, that's, that's personal experience, right? You start dealing with the things that are inside of yourself. Can I be a decent person when I'm not feeling good on the inside? 
Can I behave in a holy way when I am not feeling holy on the inside? Can I behave lovingly even though I'm not feeling love? So I got into all of that. And then the next thing that happened to me is I started thinking about the people who across the world were forced to fast involuntarily. You know, it's one thing if you are surrounded by food and you have plenty of opportunity to buy food and you are choosing not to fast, but the reality of the world is many of our brothers and sisters, image bearers of God, go without food involuntarily because of where they were born or because of life circumstance because of nothing that has to do with their choice, but because they are put in a cir circumstance where their hunger pains are not voluntary. And I found myself thinking about that a lot as I was dealing, riding, riding the waves of hunger that go up and down when you're fasting. And so at that point, I started setting aside more of maybe some of my income that I was saving to donate specifically to a ministry that, that dealt with hunger. And then the next thing that happened, and this was fascinating, the next thing that happened is I started just becoming more aware of the voice of God. And this is something I've got all kinds of theories about why this happens. I don't know why it happens, honestly, but I know that it does happen. I know that on days that I was fasting, I was more alert, I was more attentive, and maybe it was that I was more attentive or that God spoke louder those days, I don't know. But I know that there would be opportunities that arose on fasting days that didn't arise on other days. I knew that there would be um, encounters when I'd be sitting with someone and talking, and all of a sudden I realized that God's in this conversation, and that I'm, I'm, I'm here for a reason, and I'm supposed to say something. And this is not an accidental happenstance conversation, but that there is a message I'm And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you where it culminated for me. Fasting has been a part of my life in some capacity ever since, except for the last five years, because those have literally been like five years of pregnancy and breastfeeding. But other than that, fasting has been a, a part of my life. But there was this, this turning point that really cemented, like, this is going to be a part of my life. And this is what happened. That Those first couple of years that I was experimenting with it on and off, I decided that I was going to um, try like a two-day fast, Holy Week. And um, this was, I had to gear myself up for it, right? Because I'd never done more than 24 hours before. So I was going to go like 48 hours. Um, and I, I, so I, I, I really dug into Bible study and I really dug into prayer. And there was this worship um, experience that was going on in my college at the time where they had uh, out in one of the quads, they had worship bands playing for like 24 hours straight. And so I was going to go out there. And I remember at one point, I was toward the end of my fast, so I was very, very aware. Like, you become more aware of your body when something changes physically. It's the same way if you work out and you get sore, you're suddenly aware that you have muscles, right? You can become more aware of your body when things change. So I was just very aware. I was aware of my body. I was aware of the singing. I was aware of the, the speaking, and I was just aware that, like, God was here and God was moving. And I remember they were preaching about, and I was also, you remember, I was, I was thinking at that point a lot about um, involuntary hunger and poverty and, and people who, um, who are hungry, who don't have the choice for it. And they were preaching about missions and the mission field. And there was this moment that something broke inside of me in that worship service where I was like, 
I want, I want to, I want to go on, a, I want to go to the mission field. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to go out and not like a little two week one. I want to commit three to six months of my life to really go and just live among the poor and be there and, and love and serve and live. And I, I did that. I never told my, definitely never told my parents, never told anyone, didn't go up for like any kind of altar call, never told anyone that that change happened within me, but it did. And if you know the rest of my story, I went and it was that mission experience where I got my call into ministry and the rest of my life changed. And it started with this awareness of the presence of God that I do think was made possible because of my increased attention, because of this discipline that people have used for thousands of years. Now, it's not magic. It's not, it's not something that's going to like automatically fix all of your problems. But I'll tell you what, there is something about cutting things out intentionally for a period of time that turns our attention to how much God actually wants to do through us. And so whether it's this or whether it's something else, that's what we're encouraging you to do this, to do this Lent. Find a way in which you can engage in some of these disciplines so that you can hear the voice of God afresh. You can hear the direction of God afresh. You can hear the urging and the nudging of God afresh. And I'll tell you what, if you are physically able, I do encourage you to try it. Start with a, start with a day, start with a, a meal, however you want to do it. Pray for yourself, pray for the church, pray for your family, pray for your community. And then listen to what God does, because the more you do it, the more you will be surprised at what God is saying. And the more you listen to what God says, the more your life is never the same. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty Father, we are so, so grateful. We're so grateful um, that you are speaking. We're so grateful that you are moving. We're so grateful that you are reaching out to us and that you have invited us into your story. And we're so grateful that, God, you want to be with us and you want to move and you want to do things and you want to lead us. And we confess that there is so much that gets in the way of that. God, we confess that there is noise in our life that is blocking you out. We confess that there is busyness in our life that is blocking you out. We confess that sometimes we are so absorbed with our own concerns that we cannot be the people you need us to be. And so God, come, train us, discipline us, move us, open us, speak to us. Forgive us, mold us, and make us into people who are useful to you. Come, Holy Spirit. We are yours. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespass as we give those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen